peace from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's finally Labor Day weekend. A weekend that you can just relax, you can chill out, you can rest from all those labors. Or, if you're like me, you can choose to do all those things that you've been forgetting to do forever. All those little jobs that you've been putting off around the house, all those things that you know you should have done, but you just didn't have time during the weekly grind of it all. And now, finally, you get a free day, a day of rest. So, obviously, that means cleaning the kitchen one more time. Or maybe you got a dust underneath that one cabinet, you know, that one that you've been putting off forever and you never dust under there and now all of a sudden it looks really bad. It's amazing how those things add up, isn't it? It always starts with something small, something little, something that you just don't even care about. You're like, oh, it'll hold off for another day and then another day becomes another week, another month. And then before you know it, you got an annual tradition of doing it every Labor Day, once a year. That's when you do that project. But by that time, it's expanded, hasn't it? It's never just that little thing anymore. Now it's a big deal. It's amazing the way those little things just constantly add up. And all of a sudden, you're stuck with not a little thing to do, but instead a very large thing to do. It's amazing the way that works. Sometimes it truly is the little things. I think we like to, to imagine that we, we find ourselves in our daily lives facing big, huge, monumental things when in reality, a lot of times, it's the little things that tend to make all the difference. It's the little things that set us off on a path or on a course. It's the little things, the things that we probably didn't even notice that can at times make the biggest impact. Jesus is teaching, and a lawyer stands to justify himself, and so he asks a question. It's a good question. It's a money question, if there ever was one. The question that we think of when we think of money questions. What must I do to be saved? My guess is every person here has thought that at one time or another, in some respect or another. Maybe you didn't use those exact words, but you thought it. What must I do to be saved? And being good Lutherans, my guess is you expected a certain answer, and then whenever the lawyer gave it, you're like, that's not it. That's not the answer. And then imagine how shocked you were whenever... Jesus says, yes, that is correct. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. For those of you that are keeping track, that's called the law. The lawyer says, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says, what does the law say? What does the law demand? And the lawyer answers correctly. The summary the two tables of the law, the first through third commandments, and then the fourth through tenth commandments, the law of God. And then Jesus says, yeah, do that. Do that. But you see, 
the reason that this text kind of scandalizes us a little bit is because we're expecting to hear Jesus say, put your faith in God. Put your faith in me. My blood, my sacrifice will save you. That's what we're, that's what we're kind of expecting, us as good Lutherans. That's what we expect to hear. But the problem came at the start. Before we even got started with the answer, it was the question. The lawyer didn't ask, what does God do? The lawyer didn't ask, the lawyer didn't ask, what, what must I do in order to find salvation for my soul? No, he said, what must I do to be saved? How do I do it? If it's all up to me, what do I do? And so Jesus directs him to the law. He directs him to the law. But you see those Pharisees, those Sadducees, all those people that were gathered around in those days, they had a way of looking at things, a way of redefining things. And so whenever they came face to face with a law, a law that was so large, so big, they had a way of kind of tweaking it to make it more doable. One of those ways that they did it was to redefine certain terms. In today's question, the word is neighbor. So if I have to love my neighbor as myself, the question then becomes, who is my neighbor? In the ancient Jews, they had a way of defining that, but there was a debate. And the debate went like this. Your neighbor was one of two people. Either A, it was somebody in your direct community. So you live in a small town, it's only people that are in those town, and really only those people that are probably close to you. Your family, friends, your associates that are right around you, that's your neighbor. The other way to put it would expand that out. Depending on who you decided to read of that age, about the furthest you could go would be to other Jews. Other people who had that Jewish faith. Those were your neighbors and that was it. So if you have to love your neighbors, you only have to love your immediate community or you only have to love your other countrymen. This is what the lawyer was asking. Who's my neighbor? And so Jesus tells him a parable. A parable about a man who's beaten, whose clothes are torn off. You see, that's a problem. What identifying marks does he have? How can I tell at a distance if that man is Jewish or not? And on top of that, he's left half dead. How can I tell if he's alive or not? And so you have a priest and you have a Levite that walk by. Both of their jobs are in the temple. If they go help this man and he's dead, they've touched a dead body. They can no longer work in the temple. And on top of that, he doesn't have any clothes on, so they can't tell if he's Jewish or not. And they don't have to worry about him if he's not Jewish because he's not their neighbor. And then here comes this Samaritan. Now, I know we have laws nowadays called the Good Samaritan Laws. We have stories. We talk about the Good Samaritan. And quite frankly, usually when I say the word Samaritan, good things come up to mind because of this story. The reality is, is in the ancient world, Samaritans were despicable. They were despicable people. They had messed up 
the Jewish faith completely. They had distorted it and twisted it to where it was completely unrecognizable. They were kind of like the heathen in the midst of the Jews. They lived there, but they were despised. They were not considered kindly or warm or welcoming. That wasn't them at all. They had kind of abandoned their own sense of morality. They were kind of bad people. At least that was the view of them. And this is the man that comes along. This despicable person. This despicable human being. And who helps him? The despicable person. And so Jesus asked the question, who was the one who acted like the neighbor? Who was the one? Was it the well-meaning Levite? Was it the upholder of God's law, the priest? Or was it this despicable human being? Well, we might have to redefine despicable, won't we? Because that's the one who helped. That's the one who treated him like a neighbor. And so the question comes about, who was the one who acted like a neighbor? You see, it's not just your community. It's not just those that are fellow countrymen or women. But it is, in fact, everyone. Who is your neighbor? Everyone. You see, the challenge of the law, the challenge of the law is that you are called upon to act as a neighbor to everyone. And if you want to justify yourself, if you want to be completely saved by your own actions, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul at all times. And you have to help your neighbor, any neighbor that crosses your path at all times. And if you fail even one time, even one time, you are no longer perfect. You are no longer, dare I say, eligible. That is what it means to be saved by the law. That is what it means to be saved by your own works. No one can do it. No one can no one is able to sell them to sell themselves to save themselves by their own means. And so the point of the story comes home. If we cannot save ourselves, if we cannot save ourselves by being good people, if we cannot save ourselves by being completely good Christians, then how must we be saved? We cannot save ourselves, and so we rely on the very work of Jesus. We rely on the very work that Jesus did for you and for me upon the cross. That he died for our salvation. Now this doesn't mean that somehow the law doesn't matter anymore. It does matter. This is how God wants us to walk. But he wants us to do that walk filled with grace. Knowing that we are saved. Knowing that salvation is ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. We venture out into this wide world. And we help our neighbor. And yes, even if it's Labor Day, we still help our neighbor. But we don't help our neighbor because we think it's going to earn us heaven. We help our neighbor because we know that we are already saved through Christ Jesus. Jesus.
And it's in that grace, in that mercy, in that great news that we share all of our gifts with those that are around us. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.